Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lisa Joy grew up in New Jersey and began her professional career in law. While studying for the California bar exam, she submitted a script to ABC for the series Pushing Daisies and landed herself a staff writer position with the show. Lisa would later become the creative mind behind series like USA's Burn Notice and co-create HBO's hit series, Westworld. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Lisa Joy reflects on how she transitioned from a law career into the entertainment industry and her new project, Reminiscent. Hey, Lisa. Hey, how are you? Good. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I know how to take out my gum. Don't put it in. I get in trouble. How are you doing? I am good. I am good. Now, are you a chewing gum person like I am? I love chewing gum, but I'm not allowed to do it because they say I chew it like a cow. They say I don't do it well. Yeah. No, and I'm definitely, like, if I chew gum while I'm talking to somebody like you, I get a barrage of text messages, like, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm like, well, I could be puking with nerves, but instead I'm chewing this gum. It is preferable, you guys. It's right. preferable. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, it's fun. I, I always love gum, and I never take just one at a time. Gum and donut holes, munchkins, are things you shouldn't have only one of. You should have many. I literally just removed the plate of donut holes that I had on this table. That is oh. my, that's my thing. I'm from Jersey. Yes. Chicken donuts was my, my hat, Correct. you know, Correct. that was the place to go. Yeah. It was like the place to go to be an artist. <laughs> you bring your journal, you get a coffee, you get some donut holes and you write your like forlorn poems about why Julie doesn't have a crush on you. Then you drive your old Toyota Tercel hatchback back home and cry a little bit. Yes. You know, what? I love it. It was a Nissan Sentra where I was, but it was the same idea. And, uh, I'm sure I would have been the guy asking you for your leftover donut holes, your leftover we, bumps. We could have had them together. It was weird. I had a lot of like guy friends and we would all sit there and commiserate about our broken hearts. And it never occurred to us. Like we, we were each too dorky for each right. other. You yeah. Know I mean? We had yeah. Like, higher standards than each other. Yeah. Both sides. And it was, it was, a, high school is a strange 
time. It, it, <laughs> it can be, but you can have so many good memories out of that and crazy things because now people, I don't know if you've had friends who've posted photos of all of you guys from back in the day and you were like, why was I allowed to go out like that? <laughs> like oh. that, that shouldn't have happened, but. I know, I, I didn't know. Like, and I was just joking about makeup because whenever I wear makeup now, I feel very strange. Like, I feel kind of like there's a person that's on top of my face. That's not me. And, um, and it started when I was in, in, uh, like middle school, the first time I got a makeover in Jersey. So it was in a garage and I got a perm at the same time. I got like a, a Mariah Carey perm. Oh, nice. Nice put me over the sink. And then she gave me when I wanted it to be like spiral curls, you know? Um, And it just ended up like zigzags, like crazy poodle zigzags, you know? And I had bangs. So it kind of created this like isosceles triangle. Um, And then like, there wasn't like Asian skin tone stuff, right? It was just like 80s stuff. And that was all like 14 shades to pink or something. So it would like have a weird shade and then a lot of pastel with glitter and the crazy, you know, stuff and Aquanet. It was a disaster. (laughs) I want to see those pictures. You're going to have to bring those pictures out. It's it's, not good. Yeah. But you know what? Those are the most fun pictures. And it's, it's funny when you see them, you're like, was that really stylish at that time? Or as you said, was I just in a garage in, in the central Jersey? <laughs> was that what we were yeah. doing? I, I definitely, even at the time within that, you know, paradigm was yeah. failing. Do you know what I mean? It's not like I was winning then. And in retrospect, I was like, oh, that was actually a misstep. It was like, even at the moment, it right. was like, that girl does not know how to do 80s fashion. And I... I didn't, yeah. to be fair. It was yeah. it was an abomination. Now, did you ever go, where in Jersey were you? Were you, were, were you like outer New York, Jersey, or were you like true Jersey, Jersey? Well, I was born in um, South Orange and yeah. then uh, Parsippany, which is kind of central. Sure. And then uh, near Morristown in Chester, which is like very like white people playing lacrosse, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was like that. That is comedy. That's really good and true too. Uh, now, South Orange has become a little bit cool. Do you know that Have South it? Orange is is kind of cool now? I when I was when I was born and I was just there when I was a baby. It yeah. was a little more. It was a little more rough. Yeah, Marshawn no. Lynch is from there, and he was on Westworld. So we got to yeah. talking about how we're both from South Orange, and he was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> no, South Orange is now has got like a. Um, it's quietly like it's kind of cool. Like South Orange is like is on the come up. Yeah. That's- you know what? South Orange should be on the come up because <laughs> nowhere that has like that much like white person lacrosse should be considered cool. Like it's just like it's a sign if there's that much lacrosse going on. You know, like it's just it's not good. You gotta diversify, you gotta do something yeah. else. You got it's not like I hate lacrosse, it's yeah. just that it can't be the main cultural hub of a high school because something's wrong. <laughs> you know what? That is funny. That is that you are right. If, if lacrosse is at the heart of the thing yeah. and I yeah. say this having a lacrosse friend or three, but that's probably not a good thing. If lacrosse if is, is at the heart. It is a major cultural touch point. Yeah. yeah. Like lacrosse comes with a whole lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 You gotta, there's gotta be some other stuff, maybe like some football, some basketball, yeah. some like, I don't know, chem club or something like that. Yeah. You gotta, 
there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff. And, and it, once you're in a microcosm with too much of one sport involving a stick, yeah. <laughs> you got to go. You, gotta and, you know, the irony is that the greatest lacrosse player of all time is a black former football player. Really? There's a guy named Jim Brown who, uh, pre-Tom Brady and Joe Montana, arguably was considered the greatest football player of all time. But as good as he was at football, anyone who knows lacrosse will tell you he's considered the GOAT, the greatest of all time, when it comes to lacrosse. But this goes back to, like, the 50s. But he is, like, a legend when it comes to lacrosse. So it's it's ironic in a weird way. That, that is ironic and also, like, Maybe if more people knew that the sport would be cooler because it doesn't really catch on. Lacrosse isn't something that people watch after yeah. high school. You know, yeah. it's kind of like the thing that makes you a king in high school. Yeah. And then it kind of like it's not like football or yeah. you know basketball. It's, it didn't. It doesn't really stick with you. Oh, but you, hey, you know, maybe we can make lacrosse cool. You know, that's so funny you say that. If he were around nowadays, he would have been like the Tiger Woods of lacrosse. And Tiger Woods made golf cool. He definitely right? I mean, did. And, like and, 100%. I went to school with him and he was like the coolest guy ever because he played golf, which was so oh, weird. Do you know what? That window that you were in, because I lived in the Bay Area at that time, because you guys had Tiger there and you had Chelsea yeah. Clinton there. We did. We did. And Fred Savage. And don't, don't, don't discount Fred. One, don't discount Fred Savage. They were all there. Yeah. I knew none of them. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I would maybe see them in passing at a party, but I would have been too scared to say anything to them. Um, but yes, I was there simultaneously with them. Wait, and another terrific. Oh, Reese Witherspoon was there too. Who was there? Reese Witherspoon. Reese is that Reese Witherspoon went to Stanford for I think a year, and then she left. But she was there. Do, do you know um, what is his name? Who's in This Is Us? Um, he, he was there. He and his wife were there. Because I talked to his wife before, and they met there. Really? At, at the time. Oh, my goodness. I can see him right now. Why can't I call his name? Um, is, is Sterling K. Brown. Do you know Sterling? He was at Stanford? He yeah, was I at, know. He was at Sterling. He was there, and I think at the time that you're describing, he was there. Because he and his wife have told me this story of them meeting. and uh, I They think met they, at Stanford? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, I was like in a, I, you know where I was? I'll tell you where I was. I was in the enchanted broccoli forest at that time. <laughs> at this crazy co-op at Stanford that had like quite a reputation, as you might imagine, a place called the enchanted right. broccoli yeah. forest might yeah. have. Yeah. And I was by far the most straight laced of people there. But my draw group was very like alternative, shall we say, um, and so, but when you are staying in the enchanted broccoli forest, you don't get that much cross pollination <laughs> with people in like fraternities or living less enchanted broccoli forest kind of kind of lives. But I was also like pretty quiet, so so I, I knew no one. I only know them from like yearbooks and people telling me they went there and me looking at them sometimes from across the quad. So now, did you did you have good friends there? Did, sounds like you had a draw group. Did you have good friends? Yeah, I tend to like hunker down. You know, I have yeah. like a small group of friends. Yeah. And then I'm I'm like scared of everyone else, you know. So that's that's my that's my MO. So there I had a couple friends. And then when I went to law school, I had literally two friends. <laughs> I had two. And they're the best. We're still really good friends. One of them writes on Westworld now. Yeah. Um, and one of them won Survivor with her brother. <laughs> Whoa. Th How that, weird that is, is that? That is interesting 
all of these folks who are going through Harvard Law School these days who aren't practicing law and who are doing yeah. other things. So, so how did you become friends with these two and how did one go on to become survivor? Like, are they a practicing lawyer who does survivor on the side or are they like no, completely went off the, the, the plan? Yeah. I mean, they're normal people. She's not like just doing the reality show circuit anymore. Like, but, cause some people do that. They do one reality show and they keep going and it's a whole lifestyle. Like, Tammy, her name is Tammy G and she did it with her brother and they actually won. That's the craziest thing. And, and the weirdest part about it is when we were at Harvard, she was like, I was like, what are you going to do after this? And she's like, oh, you know, maybe I'll go to like O'Melveny or something. And maybe I'll win survivor. I've always liked survivor. And I was like, maybe you'll win survivor. And then her next thing was, or maybe I'll go and be on the view. So I'm just waiting for her to be on the view now, because if you can just randomly say you're going to win survivor, then I assume whatever next thing you said is probably going to come to pass too. So yeah. let's, let's all wait for the next host of the view to be Tammy. Do you know what they're looking right now? Maybe, you know, maybe this is her brilliant. time. This let's, let's use this moment to make it happen for Tammy. We'll manifest. She's smart. She's Asian. She's sassy. She's a very experienced lawyer. I highly yeah. recommend Tammy, um, no, but we, we would meet because um, very, Harvard Law School is a very serious institution, yeah. incredibly serious. Yeah. And we were very serious about Dance Dance Revolution, which is a video game where you buy a dance platform and you do all the moves and, and you can become a Dance Dance Revolution champion. And so, you know, in the hallowed halls of Harvard, there were three girls who would go home at night and we would all stay in my apartment. We'd lay down the pad. And it got to the point where we would dress for Dance Dance Revolution. We would wear crazy outfits. Tammy once wore snap-off pants that in the middle of a performance, she snapped off to reveal <laughs> leopard leggings underneath. And it's just the three of us doing this for lack of anything else to do. I love it though. I love it. It's a commitment to excellence. I love it. That means she was serious. And now where's our other friend? Our other friend you said is a writer. Now she's a writer. She works on, on Westworld. That I, I couldn't let her leave me. So I, I grabbed her into my orbit. She's, she worked uh, for the, uh, so she was the one. She left Stanford and then became a recruiter for Survivor. I don't even know how or why. Exactly. And that's how Tammy got on Survivor and won a million dollars or whatever. And then Suzanne, but while she was doing this for Survivor, and Suzanne, by the way, is the quietest woman you will ever meet, but also, and also tiny, like a little pixie. She was also in the newspapers for playing football in her high school, like this tiny girl. She really wanted to play football and they couldn't stop her. So she joined the men's football team. So she's a very weird, but lovely person. Um, and, uh, so she, when she was working for, um, she was doing criminal defense law, which doesn't make a lot of money. Yeah. So she was doing it for the appellate courts. And while she was doing that to make money, she would recruit for survivor. <laughs> and so that's how, that is my three person circle of friends. Like, so you can ask anybody at, at, at law school about me. They will have no idea who I am, unless you ask Tammy or Suzanne, and they, they will be able to tell you. All right. Now, how did you meet Tammy and Suzanne? Was it the first day? Was it a month into it? How did you meet these two? I think we were, we were just like the people who were either the most, like, we didn't feel that important. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, like I feel like there was a lot of swagger going on, especially when you first start 
any school, you know, um, and and I think we had no swagger. All three of us had very little swagger. We were more skulkers than swaggerers, you know? And so we would kind of, but I remember I saw Suzanne and um, I thought, I thought, oh, she seems nice. Like, because she's not scaring me right now actively. And, and, but then, but then because we're both shy, like we kind of didn't talk. Um, and then I got really scared because for an anniversary, my boyfriend, who's now my husband, took me out to the fanciest restaurant that, I knew of in Cambridge. Right. And it was like a big fancy date. Right. And I was, I would, you know, the entrees were like, I don't know, 50 bucks or something. Right. Which is a freaking lot when you're in school. Right. And I see Suzanne pop in the door and get takeout from this place. And I'm like, that girl that I thought was cool just casually gets takeout. That's like 50 bucks a night for herself and like brings it back to her dorm. I'm like, who is she? She's so crazy. And that put me off talking to her for like another month. Cause I got scared again about like, what kind of person does that? Um, and then she told me, cause she has an overactive sense of shame that she had no idea how expensive it was. And by the time she ordered it, she was too mortified to cancel it. And then she saw me at the restaurant knew exactly what I would have been thinking. And it's like, we both, like in shame and terror didn't talk for like another month. So it took, it took a while, but we found each other. You guys have a good, but you know, that's good when you have a good friendship group for whatever reason. I always, when I go to conferences and things, I don't like going into the conference. So I always sit on the outside and I always end up meeting my best friends or always the other people who also don't want to be there. And I always have met such good people sitting outside when you're not supposed to be side and it sounds like you guys did something kind of similar yeah you can like kind of pep yourself up yeah. outside there and just be real for a little bit before yeah. like having to like turn it on <laughs> do you know what I mean and be like <laughs> like razzle dazzle which is like a very scary and exhausting prospect but to be able to have somebody who you can just kind of huddle with and like let it all hang out is um is pretty nice we took the bar exam together later and on the third day it's a three day exam in California. It's, it's just brutal. <laughs> but, but on the third day, we were so tired and Susan and I used to do Kung Fu together. We would do martial arts together. And we had this thing that was like the slap test where we walked down the street and just as a joke, one of us would take a wild swing at the other one. And but you'd kind of telegraph that you were doing it. So you'd block it, right? I mean, we were like, I, by the way, I was like 28 at this time. I'm basically a child, right? But we walked down the street and do the slap test, right? And um, and it would lead to like a little sparring session. This, like, I'm, you know, dorky. And so we're taking the bar, it's the third day. And Suzanne is like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I'm never gonna make it through this exam. And I'm like, I'll give her the slap test. So I pull back. And I telegraph so hard that I'm going to do this slap, but she's so tired. She doesn't see it coming. And I slapped her so hard across the face, <laughs> so freaking hard that the entire auditorium of people, and there are thousands of people getting ready to take the bar. They all just turned and watched. Why, why had I done that to this person? And it was, um, I mean, it woke everybody up because it was basically abuse occurring in the middle of, uh, of, a, of a hall. So, so those are the kinds of friends I have, the, the friends that you accidentally slap really loudly while taking the bar. 
You know, that is one step away from Dick Cheney. Like, you know, you don't go hunting with Dick Cheney. And uh, it sounds like you shouldn't go slapping with Lisa Joy. No, don't, don't. (laughs) Now, you have a a good name. As I was, because I love names. And um, I think as someone who loves sports, if you love sports, you hear so many names as a kid growing up. And you realize that certain names have like a little extra push behind them. (laughs) And I think Lisa Joy has a push behind it. Has it, do you, do you know whether or not it's been especially good to you? Well, I, you know what? People always think it's my first name because I think somehow people call me Lisa Joy and then they just go, and then I become Lisa Joy. Like that's my Madonna name, but I have no last name. You know what I mean? And so, so a lot of people I think must think I'm a hyphenate or something. So they call me Lisa Joy. And then the other thing is everybody thinks that Joy is Chinese, right? Because I think because of the Joy Luck Club, <laughs> because then I'm like, Joy is an English word, guys. <laughs> it means like happiness. It's it's English, and they're like, oh, we thought that was your Chinese name from your Chinese father. And I was like, my Chinese, my father is the white one. <laughs> my mom is the Asian one. Um, but it's weird how like every like it's become an Asian name in people's minds because probably of the success of Joy Luck Club, which yeah. you know, more power to them. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, my actual Chinese name is my middle name. And that's Zhou Zhu Qing because it's a transliteration of joy as, as Zhou. Wait, what does your mom call you? She calls me Zhu uh, Qing, if that's, uh, that, that's like my first name, or else she'll just call me my, my English name. Okay, okay. Sometimes they call me Zhu Zhu, which really annoys me because Zhu Zhu, Chinese has different... Um, uh, for the same sound, it'll have different words, right? And Drew comes from like a kind of like flower. It's like a an old school name and then it's like pretty, right? And my my grandfather chose it based on all these old school Chinese superstitious things like horoscopes and like uh, if you're missing elements, they add it to the character of your name, right? They'll add like the wood mark or the water mark or whatever. And so he chose Drew, Drew, to, give, Drew to give me like a good meaning, of, an auspicious meaning of my name. But he wasn't thinking about how Drew also means pig, if you just say Drew. And so it's like, it's like if you just say Drew Drew, it's like little piggy. And I'm like, you guys, you thought of all the auspices, like you, the stars aligned, you looked at the timing of my birth, you looked at the feng shui of it all, and you came up with pig pig. <laughs> like, you missed out on like on a big thing here. So so the naming thing kind of works for me, and and then sometimes I'm pig pig. You know, I, I like Pig Pig too. I think Pig Pig is that. Now, what did you do with your kids? Did you get? Did you give them any uh, any auspicious names? I gave them. Uh, they both have Chinese names in their middle name. Like mine is uh, Chinese, and I had my grandfather chose my daughter's name, and then my friend Lee Home, who's like a big star in Asia, he chose my um, son's name, and. Now their Chinese is better than than mine because they speak at home with um, we have like an an IE, like a nanny who is now basically like part of our family. And uh, she uh, only speaks Chinese. So they're cute because they're blonde. I don't know how I have blonde children, like (laughs) something about the like biology Punnett square or whatever that is, like went totally crazy with me because I feel like I should have dominant genes. Right. And like blonde is recessive. Something went wrong. Yeah. I have blonde children, um, but they're blonde children who speak fluent Chinese. So it's really funny. It cracks me up. Wait, now has anybody ever seen you together with your kids and thought, hey, something's off? Has anyone ever said? Oh, anything? I totally look like the nanny, you know? And and I looked like 
you know, when I looked at my dad in high school, okay, so this was around when Woody Allen and Sonny, that whole story broke. Oh my, yeah, sure. And, you know, I have a white dad and I was about, you know, in high school at the time. And my dad, like, you know, I would like want to walk down the street and like hold his hand sometimes. And he was like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Woody Allen has ruined this for us. We can no longer hold hands on the street. (laughs) I was like, that was the end of that. So yeah, that that was a weird time in history. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Did you practice law at all or no? Did Did you just skip past that? I, I, I did a lot of, um, internships that actually I did a lot of work. And so I worked at, um, <clears throat> gosh, what was it? Latham for a while, but in there I worked mostly on a, um, a case cause you know, they're busy with clients that pay them lots of money, but they had this initiative too for not-for-profits. And I worked on this case that was, um, a woman who had killed her husband after he repeatedly abused her. Right. So in, in self-defense and, you know, um, battered woman syndrome would be the defense, but, um, there was this funny thing that happened where before the battered battered women's syndrome law came into play, all the people who had been incarcerated for 
killing their batterers were still subject to being like staying in prison. They didn't get out, right? So they like got in before the law changed and they were still in jail. So the client there was like a 75 year old, like she was an older lady and she'd spent her life in prison. And, uh, and hers was the test case that ultimately I just spent all my time on and it overturned the law so that she got to be free and that everybody who had done that uh, got to be free and the law became applied retroactively. So that was, that was a fun um, case to work on. I wasn't yet like, uh, I hadn't taken the bar yet, but they give you these assignments when you're, and you know, for me, it was like a passion. I work best when I'm like driven by, you know, something I care passionately about. And I cared about that. And then later on, I worked at the DA's office in family violence on the other side, prosecuting. I mean, by the time it reaches the DA's office, normally it's a child or a woman has been murdered, you know? Um, and so I would prosec- I would help the DA prosecute those cases. Um, and my husband used to joke like, dude, I do not want to like with you. Like you're always like putting people in prison for messing with women or like getting women off who killed the man who messed with them. And he's like, he's like, I get it. We're gonna, not gonna mess with you. Um, but I worked there. Those were probably um, the most fulfilling cases I had. And then I did a little bit of um, of work for the appellate uh, level lawyers for um, for um, criminal criminal defense. Oh, but, but you went almost right away into into Hollywood. Yeah. So so this company McKinsey, this consulting company, paid for law school for me. Um, and so when I got back. I had to, they, they would forgive my debt if I went back to McKinsey. And so, but they gave you time to study for the bar before going back to work. So I was studying for the bar. And while I was studying for the bar, um, they were lining up my next job, which was this high tech company in Silicon Valley that I would go work for. And, um, and I started freaking out <laughs> that I was like, oh man, I'm going to be a consultant, which is a, you know, a cool job. I'm not knocking. Those are great people. But I was like, just for me, I was thinking this is going to be, you know, a, an interesting life of like traveling every week and working at these companies and seeing, you know, my family for the weekend. Like it started to sound tough and ideologically, like my parents are like they put as, you know, they supported us by selling belts, you know, they were like a mom and pop company. And so the idea of working for a behemoth consulting company that, you know, everything has become big, big box and, you know, everything's been, everything's gone a certain direction that's kind of squished mom and pops. And the irony is like my parents were the first people to cheer me on to do it. They were like, we're going extinct. Do anything it takes to get health insurance and save us all, you know? And and that's the immigrant thing, right? It's like, don't stand on your principles, girl. Like get that paycheck, bring it home. Um, So, but I did have a kind of a little bit of a conflict um, just, just with that. Um, And so, so while I was studying for the bar, I freaked out um, and, also wrote my first TV spec because I didn't know how to be a writer or make a living as a writer. I mean, it sounds, and it still does to me, like it sounds preposterous, you know, like, 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 cause I've always loved writing and idolized writers so much that it's like, like, why would I ever be allowed to become one? You know what I mean? It wasn't like something where I saw people like me just being like, sure, I'm going to be a writer, you know? Um, and, and so for some reason, just the idea that it's now or never, you know, I was already 30, you know, and I, 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 you know, cause I'd had to, 
I'd had to work first before going to law school so I could, I could pay for it. And so I knew it was like now or never. Um, and I wrote this script and applied to be a writer's assistant um, from my friend, Michael Green, who's this lovely writer. Um, and uh, they, they asked me for an interview and I interviewed and then I, I went away and I went to Silicon Valley and I started working in this room with this big <clears throat> search engine company. And I'm in the middle of giving a meeting and my cell phone starts ringing and I step out and it's my agents who I hadn't had the day before. I'd actually called up these guys and said, is there special stationery or anything that you have for when somebody submits a script? Cause my husband was at that agency and you know, I didn't want to ask them to represent me, but I wanted my script to look like it might be official. So I was like, is there special stationery? And can I have a piece of it as like a title page? And they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I have an interview for this job. And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I don't know, but I'm going to this thing. So I went to it and then they called and they seemed just as surprised as I was. They were like, you have an offer to join the writer's room of the show. And I mean, and I was like, are you my agents now? And they were like, I guess. And, and, uh, uh, and so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to do that. I need like a month to wind down this study, you know, cause they waited for me for this study. And they were, and my, my, that day's agents were like, what are you talking about? They're like, the writer's room starts tomorrow. Like you got to go there. They're not going to wait for you for a month. That's not how TV works. And I was like, what? Um, so I had to quit on the spot and I'm like a very responsible person. So this was incredibly traumatic for me. Um, but I was like, I'm so sorry. I, I have this dream. It's not like I'm going to Bane. I'm not going to like your competitor. I'm going to do a crazy thing and try to become a writer. Um, and, and I flew back and I called my mom and she cried, not out of happiness. <laughs> she was like, what are you doing? How are you going to pay the rent? And I understood her tears. She was like, can't you just do it at night and just send them the scripts at night? And I was like, I think they want me to sit in this room with them and break these episodes. I don't know any of this, but we'll figure it out. And I was like, mom, I'm going to be okay. I promise you I'm going to be okay. And then like two months later, there was the writer's strike and I was unemployed. <laughs> Wait, what did you do when the writer's strike started? Were you freaked out? Were you like Zen at that point? Like, what, what did you do? I was just kind of like, of course, there's a writer's strike. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I never expected to get this far as a writer. I got to be in a writer's room. I got to write an episode and now there's a writer's strike and I'm going to have to come up with a completely different life plan. Thank God I've been keeping up my bar membership. You know, I can still hang a shingle and like, you know, represent people in divorce court or whatever. So, um, I mean, that's what I thought about. I was like, maybe I'll ask my like entertainment lawyer if I can work at his company as an entertainment lawyer. Um, so I had some backup plans, mostly involving law. Um, and I still do, you know, you never know when, when the tide will turn, you know, especially like there are some people who get fewer second chances, you know, and, and I definitely fall into that <laughs> bucket of like people don't clamor to give, um, uh, second chances to, uh, not as much to, to women, to minorities, you know? So I'm, I always like have a little nest egg of, okay, well, if it all goes to shit, you know, I'll be Lisa Joy Esquire. <laughs> But I love that you have done this. And 
I love that you have good energy about it because I do think that one of the gifts in life is actually being able to enjoy it in the moment. And at least here in the moment, it seems like you're enjoying it, which makes me happy. I want to believe that people will get a chance to do good things and enjoy them while there is. It, is it as fun as it looks or maybe I'm projecting, but 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 are you enjoying doing movies and TV and, and the rest or or, or what's, I mean, what's it like? It's a mixed, it's a mixed bag, right? Like there's, and I think it depends on your personality because people have different drives, right? Like I am, you know, this is fun for me talking to you because you seem like a really nice guy and you make me feel comfortable, you know? And like, and so then I'm like, I just pretend that we're just chilling. Um, and there's kind of like only that one mode that I can like interact on. And I feel like for somebody in Hollywood, I am maybe particularly earnest in some respects. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not, um, like whenever I do something or even negotiate a deal or talk about a budget for a film, I'm like, here's the thing with me. I'm going to tell you the absolute truth. This isn't, I'm not like pegging here so that we can negotiate with each other and meet here. Right. I'm literally like, I used to be a financial analyst. I've run the numbers. Like, this is what I need. Yeah. I'm going to give you exactly that. I'm going to be super respectful and everything's going to be cool. And, but Hollywood doesn't generally work like that. There's normally a layer of right. like, right. you know, shenanigans and, yep. and yep. like yep. coolness that yep. I'm not, good at. And so when I say that, I think people think it's part of a shtick. Do you know what I mean? And they're like, yeah. this is going to be extra crazy. <laughs> and then, and so, but then, you know, once I work with someone for a while, there's like, oh, she meant like exactly, exactly that. And so the people that I tend to work with, we then have that safety, you know what I mean? And, and it's the same with actors. It's the same with everybody. I'm like, I am never going to bullshit you because I think you're really smart. And I also think you're a human being and I'm a human being too. And so this is a really scary industry. You know, um, <clears throat> you never know how something's going to go. And for me personally, the thing that I love is making stuff with people that I love. I, I absolutely adore that. You know, it's, it's not about me. You know, it's about, it's like falling in love. You have a collective vision for something and you all strive for the same thing. Like how often in life does that happen? You know, where people from all walks of life come together and are like, let's make something. Let's deny the entropic pull of the universe and make something that will maybe entertain someone, you know, yeah. just for the loveliness of that feeling of camaraderie within ourselves and with reaching out to someone. And I mean, that's amazing. The process of that is amazing. Yeah. Everything else is terrifying <laughs> it's, so, it's so scary it's so hard I've taken so many knocks like you know and and I think of them as everybody has an entertainment right like you take so many knocks and the thing is I it makes you realize and really appreciate the good ones you know what I mean like yeah. it makes you realize oh, you know, uh, you know, I came up before like me too and everything. So I saw a lot of ugliness, right? Yeah. But I also saw a lot of extreme decency and goodness and generosity from people who were not incentivized and had no reason in a system like that to be kind, generous, or fair, right? And they were the minority, but I found them and I have never let go of them. You and, know what and, I mean? And, like, and, and, and I know them. Why do you think they were that way? Do you think that's just who they were? Do you think it was something about you? Do you think it was something about a moment you guys found yourselves in? Because my mom growing up had something about her that sent out a signal and people somehow knew that she was that earnest, nice person. And um, 
back in the day when you would schedule flights, you would do it all on the phone. There was nothing online. And she would yeah. call people and say, you know, I have this flight that's booked, but I want to stop by and visit my mom in Cincinnati. And so can you break it up? But don't, please don't charge me anymore. I'm a teacher. And I would always think, you can't say that. They're never going to say yes. But there was something about the way she would say that, that they would totally get that she wasn't BSing and they would totally yeah. do it. And it would happen on a lot of stuff. So, you know, sometimes it's just a moment where I don't know that those people were that nice to everyone, but sometimes there was mm-hmm. something about her, I think, that used to just kind of say, I'm not trying to waste your time. I'm not trying to do anything tricky. I'm trying to see my mom for a yeah. day or two. I'm just being plain spoken. Yeah. yeah. Well, why do I you mean, think I those think, people have been like that? Those outliers. Look, I, it's definitely, I don't have your mom's power, <laughs> I think, because, um, uh, you know, I've had, I've had plenty of people like these people are, are in the minority and, and, but they are phenomenal people. Right. Like, and, and I think they're, they were like that because that's who they are. They're generous, kind, open people who have nothing to fear because they're confident in exactly who they are, you know? And I can tell you like, and, and there are so many women who have been my friends and allies through this, you know, Marty Noxon, is I was a huge fan of hers. And then I met her and I was starstruck and we would have like girly sleepovers and watch TV together. And I was like, I'm, I'm like hanging out with my idol and she's being nice to me, you know, and being human with me. And, and it was so nourishing and it's nourishing to see people that you admire um, vulnerable too. You know, it's like, I, I went to this thing yesterday with uh, for the Asian society. And this like lovely young lady came up and was like, I want to be just like you. And I was like, you can be way better than me. You know, like, like, that's the thing is like, like I'm just some schmo, you know, and I'm trying really hard. I'm doing the best I can, you know, and, and, but you can do even better than that. And that's, that's the great thing. Like, I don't want to mystify anything, you know, I just want to say like, if that's your passion, then don't be scared and don't look too much around you. Just follow it and, and be ready to dust yourself off and keep walking, you know, and, and hold hands with people who are good people. Cause otherwise you're not going to make it, you know, but, but if you can do that and can find those people, my goodness, it's such a, it's such a beautiful journey, you know, um, it, it, it not just despite the difficulties, but in part because of them, like you understand it, Better. I mean, in some ways, that was the theme of of reminiscence, right? It's like even in love, you know, for me, something that just comes easy, that's just safe and sweet and simple. That's not necessarily love. It's just a nice idea of love, you know, but in order to really, really appreciate someone or something, you know, a little bit of struggle is is part of it. You know, it's a little bit of like intimacy is about struggle. You know, it's about being wrong sometimes and finding the answers after a while. And so, so much of, um, in so much of my life, I've found that, that to be true. What made you decide to do reminiscence? Like, how did that, where did that come from within you? Was that like long stored up and like back when (laughs) you were doing Dance Revolution, you also had a script for that or did that... Did that come later in the Tammy Suzanne show? 
I mean, it started a long, long time ago because I've always, I've ha- I have what I, I think is a terrible memory, you know, and it always upsets me because I'm like, what have I forgotten? Um, and my husband makes fun of me for it. But because of that, I've always been enthralled by memory, right? And, and sometimes I can't tell if I actually have a terrible memory or if I just have such high expectations for memory that I'm always questioning my own memories and whether I've put some kind of subjective spin on it, you know? Um, and, and, and I'm an unreliable narrator and I've unintentionally embellished a story and, and tried to aggrandize myself or, you know, like we are the stories we tell of ourselves. Like that's who we become, you know, like the becoming is as much the rewriting of ourselves and that story. It's like, we're always trying to recraft the inciting incident and the kind of second act so that we can charge into the third act with direction and clarity, you know? And so like, we're all storytellers, right? And the problem is if we're all storytellers, that's where a lot of like truly behavior can result, right? Because you can always cast yourself as the hero of your own story. You can always cast yourself as a martyr, as a victim, you know what I mean? And, and oftentimes with very good reason, right? But that's not a role you should wanna stay in. You know, it's, it's a role, and I think it's a role that often society feels very comfortable with certain people staying in, you know? And, and it gives you a beautiful suffering narrative to go with it. And for me, it's like, well, I don't like that narrative. I want the other narrative, you know? And so I like the other narrative that other people get to have. Um, and so, so I've always been obsessed with that angle of, you know, personal narrative. And at the time, you know, I was pregnant um, and I was unemployed. Um, I just left my, my job um, and, um, <clears throat> and my grandfather died. And so you know, I'm really obsessed with poetry and the arts and always have been. And, you know, it was just such a, such a emotional moment for me. And I was very much alone. Like I was just puking a bucket on my couch and Suzanne would stop by sometimes and bring me sandwiches. Um, and I just started thinking about time. You know, I, I felt I would have these like memories of my own childhood. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to like, you know, your own, everybody always has complicated relationships with their parents, no matter how great they are. Wouldn't it be amazing to see them now as they were then, like 20 years ago, right? To go back and, and be yourself again soon and then ricochet back into the body you are now. Wouldn't it be interesting to see them as that person, not just mom of the moment or dad of the moment, but who were you? Like when you looked outside the window while you were doing the dishes, what were you thinking of? You know, like who were you really? And it's that kind of curiosity about people and always trying to clarify, like, who were you really? That I think fascinated me about memory. And then, you know, the, the other part of it is like, you know, I was unemployed for a reason. And I haven't, I, you know, I, I don't talk about this much. And it's in part because, look, all of reminiscence for me is there's the hero's journey, you know, and there's all this stuff that flows in a more conventional narrative. But, you know, what I told Hugh when I started is, and, and, and I actually haven't spoken about this until now because it's, it's not particularly a, a, a co- commercial thought, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, all those sweet ideas of memory were definitely a part of me because I'm deeply idealistic and emotional. But I was also at the time incredibly, incredibly hurt um, because I'd been, it was before me too, and I'd been on a staff where I was the only girl for, for years and there was, 
really bad behavior. There was a cookbook in the middle of the table on how to make recipes out of semen, you know, and like the jokes and the constant, you know, talking about, you know, violent sex things. And, you know, to be honest, that's not even what bothered me. It truly, in the end, because it was so obvious, I'm like, that's sexual harassment. I can identify that, right? And be like, you know, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm just going to ignore it, you know? The thing that was far more insidious was I work in an industry where there's no answer book in the back of what you're writing that says, you've done something good or you've done something bad. (laughs) You can only write and work as truly as you can and hope to God it connects with someone, right? But in a room like that, everything that I wrote, I would literally get my scripts crumbled up and hand it back to me. And uh, so I really started thinking, you know, I've never been one of those people who's like, I should occupy all this space, you know? (laughs) Um, And so it made me think like, huh, maybe I'm not a writer. Maybe the story I have to tell is not something that is of interest to people. Like maybe I can't do action, you know, women can't do action or humor. Like maybe I, maybe I have done this wrong. And I deliberately went to work on these shows because I wanted to do, I liked action. I wanted to get to do it. And, and, um, and so after a while, and I'm not saying all these people are bad people. It's just, it was a culture in a moment where that's what it was. And, and, and there weren't a lot of people, even decent people who would who would, it took a lot for somebody to stand up to that, you know? Um, And when you're the only girl in a room, you have no confederate, you know? Um, And and that's tough too. But so after all this had happened, you know, I was kind of like, I had to quit. And I, I quit because I was like, I don't think I can have the kind of way I want to see the world anymore if I stay in this environment, you know, like, I think it's going to make me a really dark person, you know, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be a dark person. It's no way to live. Um, and so I quit and it was really scary, um, uh, because, you know, they asked me not to take another job because it might make them look not so great. Um, if, and make people think I was quitting for the reason I was quitting, but I, um, I, so what I did instead, um, was I, I kind of chose unemployment and I, and I, and I was so, you know, beautiful things happened then. I think I got less stressed out and managed to get pregnant and that was wonderful, you know? Um, and in that moment, you know, as somebody who's been guided my whole life by how can I take care of myself financially, you know, and, and, and having real pressures, I couldn't get hired. I was pregnant and unemployed. And so I had nothing to do, but write for myself, you know, and, for the first time I got to write whatever the hell I felt like. And, and the thing that I wrote was, was reminiscence. And it's so funny because people are like, it's not necessarily in any genre specifically it crosses these genres. And, um, and I'm like, yeah, because I wasn't writing it to fit in anything. I was just writing the thoughts that came to me and the feelings that came to me. And, and it's a, it's a reflection of both the idealism and romanticism that I think I have about the world, you know, but also another thing that I was really struggling with, which is, as I talked to Hugh, I was like, people are going to think, and it's so important for me that, that you sign on to this because you're a big movie star and you're a great action star. And they're going to look at it and see that. And 
what I really want to do though, because I've seen that is, but they're never going to let me make this movie. If I, if I say this explicitly, like I want this film to be an indictment of the male gaze, (laughs) you know, and I want you to help me tell that story and they won't even know I'm telling it until after it's told, you know, and the whole thing is it's not a love story. You know, there is a love between Bannister and Watts. There is a love that comes from seeing someone fully. I have so many friendships that have sustained me. And I'm not saying that Bannister and May aren't in love at a certain point, but having suffered so hard under the expectations, I mean, I'm sure you felt it. Anybody who is not, you know, part of the kind of hegemony, right? Whenever you walk into a room, it's like that David Foster Wallace thing, like this is water. The way I say it is like, my water has a different viscosity to yours. (laughs) You know, there's like a lot of like, yes, okay, I'm going to do the water, you know, and good way to say it. Yep. But it's true, right? It's yeah. like, it's like, I can't just walk into a room and wear whatever the hell I want and have the, the things out of my mouth be the measure of my thoughts, right? right? Because there's already a narrative before you step into them. There's already 10,000 narratives, right. right? And it's like, you should write this kind of thing. You should do this kind of thing. Um, and, and it's so hard. It's exhausting, right? Because people always have trouble trying to find out who they are and everything. Yeah. And when you think you know who you are, but the world keeps telling you all these other things and you have to just to make room to like walk in your own air, combat all that, it's really hard. And so I wanted to, the feeling of that, the weight of that feeling and the weight of some of the things that I had gone through, instead of wanting them to make me like an uglier person, like a darker person, I wanted to find a way to work through it kind of. And, and that was for me reminiscence. Like I wanted to show a man who is not a bad man. You know, he's a, he's a good man. He's a man that I could easily love, but he's flawed. The hero of the story isn't always perfect. And he falls in love the way so many people are supposed to fall in love with movies, with the perfect, sexy vixen who's just a little mysterious and, you know, a little flattering. And, and that's not real. And, and it's a, it's a game and it's a game that all women have to play, right? If you go into a meeting, you know, not to wear that sexy red dress because you are screwed. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you, we, we have to deal with not wardrobe, but costume design on a daily day, on a daily basis. And so for us, even for Rebecca's first dress, it was like, well, what's the like right down the middle sexiest thing that you would do. And if you were a woman knowing the tropes you live in and trying to manipulate them, how would you walk into that room? Cause we were laughing about how no, that would never happen. Like it's a dive bar. How is she wearing that crazy dress? Like it's abs. She says she bought it at a thrift store. Like that's a crazy idea, right? Like, and he was like, yeah, it's a thrift store dress. Yeah. What? It looks like couture, but you believe the lie that you want, right? You want to be like this gorgeous girl who's also penniless, but happens to look like this in this dress just happened to fall on my lap, you know? And And the whole thing, like throughout the whole movie, they're talking about blindness. They're talking about, she literally tells them the first thing they meet, they're like, she's like, you know, he's like, why are you crying? And and she's like, she's like, because I get nervous before I pretend. And he's like, you don't look like you're pretending. And she's like, guess it's working. Like, so I tried to put all these things in there. Like, like, I am telling you. And then Watts, who was always for me, 
like my inner voice, the voice of reason that I always feel, especially with my friends, right? She's like, you don't see her. She's just a, she's, you're just chasing a fantasy, a vacancy in your own life. You know, you're just chasing this idea. And what I wanted to address on this wasn't the idea of comfortable love, right? Of like, of like, we're redeemed together. And that was a lot of the pressure on the script was to make it more comfortable that way, to make her cozier, more vulnerable, to give her a backstory so that we could sympathize with her, you know? Um, And I was like, yeah, well, she did drugs. It wasn't that sympathetic, but doesn't she still maybe deserve to be loved? You know, he went on a crazy murder spree. Does that, (laughs) like, like, we all make mistakes, guys. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, things that have what I call jagged edges that aren't perfectly polished to the very end, to a predictable end, I think are richer and more enjoyable. I I, I, I think they uh, they last and they catch you. And uh, yeah, I think they're more valuable. I just, for me, truly the kindest thing. And the only thing that I wanted during that time, I just wanted to be seen. You know, I think that's such a loving thing to do for someone, to take the time to listen and see someone. You know, like as a woman, it's very strange. Like, I don't know if men fully understand how crazy it is to be defined. Okay, first of all, you spend the first, like, you know, 15 years of your life being told to be polite and modest, right? Polite, humble, modest, don't talk too much, be pretty, study, but you don't have to be too proud about it, right? And then after that, it's okay, well, be successful, but also like find, find a mate, right? And be, be sexy. And at, the, at that time, you're, you're getting sexually harassed. All of a sudden, you're getting all this attention for something you can't control, but also scared of this attention and insecure about this attention. And, and the whole world is kind of orbiting that. And there's, and there's danger to it, right? And there's desire to it, all these things you don't understand. But again, you're not entirely in control of it because people are always imposing all these ideas on you. So you struggle with femininity and sexuality. And it's a really, on top of that, you're having ideas and thinking things and building things like any man would be doing, right? And then there comes a phase where, you know, for me, I got pregnant. And then all the time, the entire lifetime that you spent navigating your peace in a world where it's like, doesn't matter how you think of me, this is who I am. Right. And I'm now comfortable with my sexual. I'm going to own everything about me. If you can get to that place, then all of a sudden you gain 50 pounds and have another human being inside you. (laughs) And instead of sexualizing you, the whole world kind of looks at you like, isn't she a sweetie pie? Isn't she? Do you have pregnancy brain? Are you stupid right now? But cuddly and sweet and safe. And now the whole world gaze flips entirely. And you're like a stuffed animal, (laughs) like a giant, sweaty, stuffed animal. And, you know, you experience life as a continuum. We all do. We are the same person. But it's very strange as a woman because the sort of morphological, you know, ways in which you're presenting, like 180 switch the gaze of society. And so it's like you keep stepping from one book into an entirely different book, but you're the same character. And all of a sudden you're like, what genre is this? This is a romance. This is a horror genre. (laughs) And you just keep going. And the about face, like the second you start to show, your world is different because the entire world is going to treat you differently. You know, and it's a it's a funny thing. Wait, wait, what? So what happens after uh, you give birth? 
Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Here we go. So after that, right, then you go through the, the, the can a woman have it all phase where everybody's like looking at you, can you have it all? And you're like, absolutely not. No one can have it all. Right. So I have personally given up the gym, like, like any kind of self edification. Like I'm just about kids and work. And maybe some people can have more than that, but I've managed to do two things kind of, um, uh, with a lot of help. Um, but, but it's that phase where everybody's like, is it possible? Because it really feels like you should have to forsake one of those things. And, and it's an, a lot amount of pressure. And at the same time, you're like, it's so funny for so long. I was like the object of like this, like infantilizing and sexualized gaze. Then I was the maternal gaze. And now I'm the kind of like, what's this woman doing? <laughs> and then then there's menopause, which I don't even know about. That's like, I'll tell you, I'll, we can check back in on that later on. Right. doesn't sound fun, right? It's like, that doesn't sound fun. The, the idea of what society says about that doesn't sound fun. That has to be something you kind of actively fight to feel like I'm relevant. I'm still the same person I was yesterday. Like men don't have that demarcation where it's like, yeah, you're no longer fertile. <laughs> and even if you didn't want to have kids, now, now we just want you to know you can't. <laughs> Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
What do you think would happen to you if you didn't live in L.A.? Do you, do, you, do you think any of these chapters change dramatically if all of a sudden you guys are elsewhere? It's an interesting. I think that, you know, I am really do. I am basically a hermit, you know, so the pressures and those expectations I feel are, are honestly more the ether of society as a whole, you know, and, and I think it changes from culture to culture. I don't think it's easier in Asia. I think it's probably harder, frankly. Um, the kind of roles, like when I'm in Asia, I dress differently. I talk differently, you know, you know, people uh, how, how, how so? I mean, I, first of all, I'm far too tall there. No, I mean, it's just, you know, my, my family is more traditional. And so you just, you just kind of, you know, I don't want to go there and like rock the boat. So I try to, I mean, I'm still going to stand out and be like Americanized, you know, but, but I love Asia and I love being there. It's just a little more traditional, right? So I try not to shock the hell out of everybody by saying and thinking everything I do. Not like I'm such a crazy iconoclast, but I mean, this conversation in itself would have been quite shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom. I don't know if you're listening to this. Wait, now where is mom? Are they still in Jersey or where are they? Yeah, they're in Jersey. They must be, uh, are you an only child or no? I have a sister, a younger sister. Younger sister. I, 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 did, what does your mom say? I'm, I'm guessing, I don't want to project, but I'm guessing she must be pretty proud. I'm guessing she's, she's excited well, for you. You know, the great thing about my mom is, I th- you know, my movie just premiered mm-hmm. and all this stuff just happened. I haven't heard anything from, from them. <laughs> um, they just ignored it. And, and that's not for lack of love. That's just cause like, it's Hollywood, it's Hollywood. Like people's got real problems, you know, like, what are they going to do? Like, you want to throw you a party? Somebody else already threw you a party. It took a bunch of pictures of you. <laughs> like, Forget about it. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, so they, they've um, marked this occasion by not marking this occasion, which is, you know, it used to be, if you look at it through a certain lens, right. When talking to some of my friends would be like, how could they not, you know, and, and sometimes like, I'm like, how could they not? But then I'm like, cause they don't care. And I shouldn't care either. Do you know what I mean? Not so yeah. much about that. You know, they're like, you know, it, even in the film, right. Like when I think about the things that matter in life at any given moment, like this moment is surely a stressful one for me. Right. Like at every, at any given moment, it feels like this could be the end of the world. Everything is so stressful and stakes are so high. And I feel that like once a week, at least <laughs> for like any number of silly reasons. Like I have to talk to the nanny about something. The stakes are so high. It's apocalyptic, you know? Um, but, but in the end, those feelings come and go always and, and come back again. They will surely be, don't get too attached to that feeling of stress. Cause another feeling of stress will soon replace it. But the thing that I think is so beautiful about humans, right? Is no matter what your different stresses are, and I'm very lucky in my character, in my category of stresses, right? But no matter what your different stresses are, and they are all different. It's like Tolstoy, like all happy families are the same, but all, you know, miserable families are miserable in a different way. I can't, I just botched Tolstoy. So I've managed (laughs) to do that on this um, podcast, but, um, but it's actually beautiful to me, right? It's not that it's generic. It's that when people look back on their happy times, they are not fancy times. They are not even very unique times. They are simply company 
the idea of being intimately seen, the feeling of beauty. Like, you know, we live in really cynical times, you know, and, and God knows cynicism is a strong survival weapon. It is, it is, it exists for a reason, you know, and, and, and cynicism is often equated with intelligence because it's, the entire flow of the universe is entropic, right? If you want to bet on something, bet on the ending. It will end. That's for sure. That answer will be correct. But, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't want to bet on the end when I could be kind of living in the middle, you know? And, and I think there's a little bit of earnestness for me for that. That's somewhat anachronistic, especially in, in Hollywood, maybe, you know? Um, but I guess I think these movements come and go, these cycles come and go, you know? And, and I think it's, it's too sad to, you, you have to be, you have to see the darkness. You have to see the darkness or you won't survive. But if you live in it, then what good is surviving? You know, it's too dark. It's too depressing. My last name is freaking Joy, for goodness sakes. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, you do have a, uh, you do have a winning name. All right, before I let you go, I have to do rapid fire with you. Do you mind if I do rapid fire with you? Yes, let's do it. All right, what's your favorite book? Oh, gosh, um, it is. And why am I going to forget this right now? Because you put me on the... <laughs> right, correct, correct. Oh, exactly. my gosh. What exactly. is the, the Slaughterhouse-Five? I'm so sorry. I got it. That was huge. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Okay, that's a good one. I haven't had anyone say Slaughterhouse-Five. That's a good Slaughterhouse one. All right, All right, a little throwback. Um, uh, most beautiful place you've ever been to? Portofino. Oh, very nice. I have a friend who's leaving for there today at five o'clock uh, from New York. So It's so beautiful. The nature, the way the buildings are built into, it's like, it's really, it's really pleasant. <laughs> are, are you an Airbnb person? Are you a hotel person? What do you do? Airbnb. I mean, was that a rapid fire question? <laughs> a, I guess, I guess it kind of was. Yeah. All right. All right. It, it, could, it's, I it's, can't tell. Yeah. All hotels. It's like that Tolstoy quote that I messed up. All nice hotels are the same. All Airbnbs are different. You can live like a local. I Airbnb it. Oh, I love that. All right. That's a beautiful one. Um, most interesting person you've ever met. Um, I was going to say my daughter right now, but then I feels like that's really mean to my son. <laughs> so now I going to pretend that I didn't say anything. When you have a kid and you see all the lights turn on, there's nothing more fascinating, you know? Yeah. How old is your daughter? She is seven. She is seven. Um, fast forward uh, 20 years from now, you and I are going to get together for coffee. Where are we going to get together? What's going to be going on? What are you going to be up to? Okay. A, that sounds so fun. Right. Um, B, does it have to be coffee? Because <laughs> can it just be like a nice like cocktail or mocktail? Yes. Or sunset? yes. You know what I mean? Like yes, chill. yes. Agreed. Agreed. Um, agreed. I would like to play a board game. Oh, if possible. Oh, um, what, what, what kind of what kind of board game? Put put up your board game. OK, but this is cheesy because I actually I'm yeah. not a competitive board game yeah. player. I just like board games. Yeah. So chess stresses me out because it's yeah. like you got to be on. Right. Yeah. So I'd like to play this game Settlers of Catan. <laughs> Now, I don't know that. I was ready for you to say connect four. Uh, that's where I thought you might go, but but I'll t I'll take this other one. Settlers of Catan is, is pretty good. I actually had yeah. children in part because it requires three players, and so I needed the extra one. And I taught <laughs> my daughter how to play. It's a very complicated game. I so it. I trained her on the digital version, and now she can play the board game version. I, I love mean. it. I love it. I love it. I have a, another friend 
who is uh, as nerdy as you are when it comes to that. And he would say the same about his daughter, Julia, who's 10, who's a genius, and that he did the same with her. So I love, I love yeah. that that's, it's I love that company. you're building out your squad. That's good. I love that, <laughs> I love that you're building out your squad. Um, uh, what would you love to make next? Like, I, I, as I pay attention to your career from afar, one of the things that I do like about it, and when I've heard you talk about it, I feel like I like that you've gone into different kitchens and you've made different meals. And I like that, especially with reminiscence, that you didn't limit yourself to, as you said, this genre or that. And so I now I'm kind of thinking, okay, what else would she love to make? Um, what would you love to make? What would what would I, what would bring you joy, Lisa Joy? I mean, I would love to. So I I do like working for me in the, in the original space only because it, it really is like, it becomes very personal for me. It's almost like therapy. Um, and so I I'm working on this thing. That's it's pure action. Like I love directing action. My budget on reminiscence was very limited. So I had to limit the action set pieces. <laughs> um, uh, and so I I'd like to do something that, um, that speaks, there's this form of action that I'm thinking about doing that I don't think I've seen before. And that draws from a couple different cultural references that I think would be really cool. Um, you know, it's, it's a hard time for original films, you know, like, I don't know, do they exist in the same way? Like 20 years ago when films came out, like, like that was the norm. Right. And, and now the industry has changed so much and with the pandemic it's changed even more. And, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a funny time for me because the thing that I gravitate towards is, is originals. Um, so, you know, I think that's the only thing I, I, I am really passionately, that's the thing I'll write regardless, regardless if it gets made, regardless if anybody's interested yeah. in it. It's just the thing that I like to do. Um, and action, I just love to imagine when I was in law school, the other thing that I did was I would pretend when you're zoning out in law school, which is like literally all the time, um, huge lecture halls. And like, you can only talk for so long about like the footnote of the law anyway. And I would imagine like marauding ninjas entering the thing and I would have to go around and like fight them and save everyone. <laughs> this is why Suzanne and I were friends and did the slap test. Um, and so, you know, to be able to- Oh, you know what? You, you do come by action, honestly, because you I, are, you're a slap fighter who, whose friend is a football player. It's so- Fun. And it's dance too. I love dance as well. There's just something so lovely about seeing pretty movements and also like, like beating up bad guys. It's a cool feeling, yeah. you know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I, there's a, and this is too limited a word, but there's a, there's a superhero series that you have coming. There is, it's, it's, it's not Marvel because you like complicated characters too much. But there's there's something interesting there uh, for you. I, I still think one of my favorite series of all times was was the early Born series with uh, oh, yeah. with uh, uh, with Matt Damon. No disrespect to Renner, but I thought it got messed up when it went there. But yeah. I liked it because there was a complexity and there was a subtlety that it was there's still, but it was still seemed believable. It was right on the edge. It was like, yeah. it was right on the edge. And therefore I still found it interesting. And, and I think we need more characters like that. And I could see you. And so maybe you and Hugh will, 
Maybe. I, I was talking to you about Hugh. You know, Hugh has been on this journey with me. It is a huge thing for an actor yeah. like Hugh, you know, a big movie star to be like, you've never directed a film. You know, you're bringing me this original. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a mix of things that aren't really made nowadays. And, uh, and you're telling me that I'm here to um, help you indict the male gaze by not being the hero that people are going to think I'm going to be. Not many movie stars would say yes to that. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I literally like I was like, you're going to have to be ugly and foolish sometimes. And people will look back on it and be like, why would he make that silly choice? Why would he think that silly thing? And I'm like, and it's because love and lust can blind you. And that's the whole that's why we're talking about Orpheus and Eurydice. You know, like it's about that kind of blindness and learning to see, you know, and, and the idea of that he could understand the romance of that. And for me, it was really nice to have a guy. He was one of the first guys I had talked about, like the true inspiration for some of my things about the male gaze. He was one of the first guys I felt, you know, comfortable enough to just like, you know, and I knew that I had to tell him the whole story if I'm asking him to be a part of this. Cause that's, that's why emotionally I was working through that. And he it was just like, I'm in, I'm in. And, and he was like, I have no, he literally was like, I have no vanity about this. I'm not doing it for the money. I'm in with you, whatever it takes. And he has been true to his word. It's, he's been such an ally. Like, you know, low key, like sometimes people are allies of women and like, they like have a billboard that says it and like flashing lights. You know what I mean? He's like low key, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like it was, it's been tremendous. Yeah. That, but you know what? Good on you and good on him because it probably brought you both joy also. As you said, there is few things in this world better than having a good collaborator um, and collaborators. And if you are in that space and you're creating together and you both are being good with each other and moving it forward ambitiously, like that's a, that's a special thing. That's a good thing. Yeah, I love him. I loved my whole cast and crew. You don't get lucky like that. Yeah. I, like it's, I pinch myself all the time. I can't believe how lucky I got. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, Lisa Joy, I'm coming to see you for, uh, for that joyful cocktail. Uh, I know. Well, you got to start training on settlers for Catan. There's an app, you know, you can play remotely with my daughter and I, we will kick your because we've been training a long time now. But you know what? No, because I am very tricky. What you don't know is that I'm going to win your daughter over. She's going to be on my team, and therefore we're going to beat you. Probably. So, yeah, yeah. By the way, it's about scarcity of resources. <laughs> I think it's like a Russian game. It's really hardcore. You have to get the elements to build things to survive. It's like It's got a real kind of dystopian feel to it sometimes. All right. Well, I need a friend then. I need a guide. And, and so maybe maybe a seven-year-old guide. Like, as you said, you Perfect. never know who, uh, who the um, – who the chosen ones, how they look. So that's good. Yeah, Maybe, we'll see who is you know. Lord of Catan. That's, that's what you get to be if you win. We, we shall see. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you, again, you have not been exposed to my family yet. We are a creative, tricky bunch when it comes to games, whether it's ping pong, board games, or other things. So you will You've be exposed get Lord to of a whole Catan new too, world. Because there's bargaining and you can form alliances with different <laughs> family groups. And then you can like form a monopoly right, to right. shut out other people. Right, right, Especially right. Very good. <laughs> I, will, I would definitely pull Tammy tricks. I'm definitely going to pull off the thing and leopard skin. So I'm, uh, I'm, in, I'm in her camp. So I, I like her already. Um, um, well, they are telling me I have to let you go. But um, thank you. Thank you for, for giving me all this time. I really... I so nice to meet you. I so appreciate 
uh, you, and uh, you don't know this, but um, one of the rare nice things that happened, uh, you know, we've been so lucky to have so many nice people stop by the show, but rarely before we get started, people I work with say we're really excited about this, and that happened today, and Eli came in and said that, and Marco said that, and Liz said that, and so everybody was ready for you today. That is so awesome. It has been such a pleasure pleasure talking to you. And I was recommending a poem before this, and I really want to loop back in and see if she's read it because it's a really good poem. Um, so somebody email me and tell me how it went. She did read it. They're she safe. did? Yes, and, and, so did, uh, and so did Brett, uh, our executive producer. They both read it. Did, did, did they find it moving for their kids? Good bones, Maggie's uh, uh, Brett. <laughs> Brett, who's got an 11-year-old son named Finn, uh, who's a wonderful guy, um, uh, said yes. He did find it good. moving. So, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, um, all, right. all right, Lisa, be safe. Have a great weekend. And uh, I, will, I will bone up on the app and come see you. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. It was okay. lovely chatting with you. Same, same, same. Be well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends to find us on the iHeart Podcast app or Apple Podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.